The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This is Amanda Hirsch from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. You might know me from Not Skinny But Not Fat on Instagram, where I spend my time talking about reality TV, celebrities, everything happening, and pop culture every Tuesday, okay? I also talk to some of our favorite celebs and reality TV stars. We talk about what's going on. Tune in every Tuesday and just feel like you're talking with your best friends in your living room. I'm Dr. Deepika Chopra, the Optimism Doctor, and this is Looking Up, a place where you can expect to find raw, transparent storytelling. Listen in to learn real science-based techniques to cultivate more optimism, resiliency, and authentic joy from artists, athletes, experts, and many more. Today's episode is special because, well, it's got two Deepikas. Deepika as in me and Deepika as in Deepika Mutiala. She is a South Asian beauty entrepreneur, businesswoman, and the founder of Live Tinted, a multicultural community all about beauty and culture. Deepika launched Live Tinted in 2018 as an inclusive digital community that explores beauty for every shade in between. On this episode, we talk all about what we have in common. And let me tell you, it's more than just our names. We talk all about identity, inclusivity, the mental impact of underrepresentation in beauty, the emotional journey of being a first-generation girl coming of age in America. We talk about rejection, freezing eggs, entrepreneurship, how to be more proud of ourselves as women, not feeling bad about being too much, and surrounding ourselves with people who will support the a lot of you part of you. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation between two friends, two entrepreneurs, two ambitious Indian American women, two Deepikas. How I start the Looking Up podcast is with this little intro section that I actually like to call Looking In. And it's just a series of short, very short, rapid fire style questions. Don't think too much about it. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. Cool. All right. All right. Deepika, has there been a book that you have read that has actually changed the way in which you live your life? And if so, please share. Yeah, I mean, I would say a lot of books. Maybe it's because I'm staying at their home right now, but truly, it truly has objectively, without being his friend, Jay Shetty Think Like a Monk is, I'm putting it on record, it's not an easy read because it's very much like exercises and like self-work that you have to do but it's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be like real work that you're actually putting in and, and improving yourself. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not that it's dense, but it's like, I, I could do it chapter by chapter because you really want to soak in every word of what's being said. And sometimes I reread the same things and the exercises he has in it, but I think it's really helping me figure out and it's again, a daily practice of like being more present and cognizant and uh, living my life with purpose. So I really, I, I really love the book. People think I'm blank, but I'm actually blank. <laughs> well, I feel like people think I'm a Leo, but I'm actually a Cancer. Ooh. Yeah. I'm a Leo. <laughs> You're a Le- yeah. Yeah. So people think I'm a Leo. I think they just assume because I definitely am a, a strong personality, but I'm an emotional Cancer. <laughs> I love it. Okay, three words to describe yourself as a teenager during the high school years. Oh, gotta love those years. <laughs> a dreamer, a poser, and a doer. Mm. Yeah. 
because I, I definitely dreamed the big dreams, but I was also trying to be somebody I wasn't, but I was always actively trying to move things forward and progress my life as a doer. So, yeah. I love that. Actually, that I feel like can describe so many of us during those years mm-hmm. too. And like the fact that you are able to sort of like in hindsight, mm-hmm. recognize that is pretty cool. Okay. When is the last time that you cried? Oh, pff, like an hour ago. <laughs> like, oh my God. Emotional I, cancer. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, I, I cry all the time. Uh, I used to be like, oh, I must be BMSing or something. It's like, no, I just cry and I've accepted that it's okay. Like I, uh, yeah, like everyone in my life, they're just like, are you okay? Like, this is a lot to take in and soak in. And I'm like, no, like, you know, like, uh, I used to be like, be more tough, Deepika, be more tough. And cause my mom is very taught me that in like a really great way. Like you have to be a strong woman and things like that. But I am an emotional person and happy tears or sad tears, whichever one it is. Like I just, I, I wear my heart on my sleeve and it, I cry. Yeah. Happens all day. I feel you on that. And I'm the exact same way. And I always have been. I've learned more how to sort of not like reel it in, but kind of when I need to, because I was someone like in my high school years, I think I've shared it on the podcast before, but like if I, you know, went and saw like Romeo and Juliet or like, you know, the Titanic the year later, like I literally was out of school for like four (laughs) years. Like it just like hit so hard. And it was, it was like very much especially in relation to like unrequited love or like two people couldn't be together or like something unjust was happening. Like so much so I was like obsessed with justice and I still am, but I've really had to, you know, and, and going through like grad school and doing this for a living, you kind of obviously start to build some skills where like, okay, I've just witnessed something really heartbreaking and I've been there with this person in this room and I have to like now go home. Um, and you do learn some of those skills to try and like sort of take a step back from it. But I didn't actually really learn how to implement sort of like, like protecting my emotions Mm -hmm. until I became a mom. And I feel like, and I've talked about this before too, where it's almost like survival. Like I know I'm so emotional that sometimes my emotions can like physically, they take a toll. Absolutely. Like I'm moved by something and I love it. And that's just who I am. But like physically I'll get like, I get like a hangover from like crying or like a headache or just like this thing. And I think somewhere along the lines of becoming a mom where it's like, you have to be on 24 seven, there's no like sick days that like you just learn. Like sometimes I learn to set something aside and be like, I know I'm going to have a good cry from this, but I literally can't look at it right now until my son goes to sleep for today. That makes sense (laughs) to me. I mean, because I'm not a, a parent, I'm not there yet. So for me, I'm just like, I've accepted it. And I've told my team, like I'm an emotional, like instead of seeing vulnerability as like such a weakness, I've kind of just seen it as a part of who I am. And Um, I just lay, put it out there just so that way there's no surprises. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, I got to a point too, where I was sort of just sick of having to like defend it or make excuses for it. Like kind of what you said, like, oh, maybe I'm PMSing or, you know, whatever, whatever. Like it's truly part of who I am as well. And I think I get a lot of pushback sometimes, even from people that love me and that I know kind of like you said, your mom, like always instilling in you, you got to just be strong, you know, like people pushing back with like, but, but aren't you like, isn't this what you do for a living? Like, aren't you, and when I was practicing clinically too, like, aren't you a psychologist or like now, aren't you an optimism doctor? And I'm like, yeah, but at the root of it, like what I'm actually just trying to say is that 
we are all human. And so I'm like very open because I don't know how else to be transparently about my emotions too. And I'm kind of just over making excuses for it or Mm -hmm. rationalizing it. I love it. It's just part of me. That's, and I think that's another thing we have in common, the names and our emotions. (laughs) I know. And I'm about to actually tell you something else we have in common that I recently uncovered. But first, tell me three things that have brought you joy today. Oh, today. Um, Yeah, just today. Well, every day I wake up to my family group thread and because they're a few hours ahead. So I always wake up to like, I'm in LA right now. um, And so I woke up to a picture of my nephew. I get my mom sends it every single day. That brought me a lot of joy. He brings me so much joy. Um, And I actually moved to, I moved to Texas. I just happened to be in LA right now. But I think like just knowing I'm even like in a 30 minute distance from him because I just got my own place there. It brings me so much joy. And I think another thing that brings me joy is being in LA because I haven't traveled. It's, you know, obviously been a crazy time and it's nice. This is my first time being back here since I've left, like officially moved out. And it feels really nice being here. And it also validates that like I made the right decision. Like I love being here for this moment and it's great to have the you know, getting out of the house, like I got vaccinated. And so I, I feel comfortable being able to do that. And yeah, I think uh, doing this podcast, cause you and I have been talking about doing this for so long and schedules finally aligned. And you were actually so kind, actually, this is a fun story to share with people on the emotional thing. We were supposed to do this podcast months ago and I was in the middle of egg freezing and I had this emotional breakdown where I literally had to cancel my meetings for the rest of the day. The hormones just like totally took a toll on me. And I, I texted Deepika and I was just like, I'm so sorry, but I, I need the day. I, I was just crying. Like, and I, again, like I felt embarrassed. I felt scared telling my team that I was literally a mess, but I also recognized what I was going through is also not normal. And injecting yourself with hormones is going to make you turn into a different person. And, um, and, and I was just kind to myself during that time. And I realized nothing is, nothing is worth my like peace. And so I, I canceled meetings. And so, you know, here we are a couple months later making it happen. So I really appreciate that. And like, it's, there will always be another time. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of times we pressure ourselves that like, we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And this is the only time, this is the only chance. And in the end of the day, like our mental health, our physical health, our family, you know, the things that we most value is what we most value. And so some days it's just not going to work. And I think being able to be flexible, you know, with ourselves and with others is so important. And I just realized actually your egg freezing um, experience is definitely something I absolutely want to talk about on this episode. And I, for some reason, I knew I wanted to talk about that with you, but that wasn't even what I was talking about in terms of what we have in common, because I also did the beginning part of that or that part for, you know, not many people know, but my second baby we had via surrogacy. And so I did the basically freezing of the eggs part too. So I totally, I understand. And it was so much more emotionally and physically intense that I, than I, totally ever anticipated. Like Same. I kind of just thought it was like people no just big do deal. this. Yeah. Like, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it like online and people, you know, documenting it. And it just seemed like no big deal. It was just like another period kind of, mm-hmm. but like it was anything but, but anyways, I want to talk about that. But what I wanted to tell you was oftentimes I get people reaching out and being like, Hey, I know this is really weird, but I really like your voice. 
And <laughs> I feel like you, I, I read somewhere or I seen somewhere yeah. that like you get that too. And in the end of the day, I think like it's none other than like we both and correct me if I'm wrong, but we both have vocal cord injuries. Literally. It's so funny. Cause yeah. I, I look at my videos from five years ago on YouTube. I had a completely different voice and it's all yeah. from over usage. Like I talk too much. <laughs> and so that's exactly me too. So it's so crazy that we also have that in common. Um, I went from having like a hemorrhaged vocal cord to when I was really my first pregnancy, I carried uh, my son Jag and I was so ill that I had something called hyperemesis gravidarum and I threw up like 35 times a day and it, it, it like further damaged my vocal cords. And then I found out like, you know, right before, or maybe it was right after my first baby, I, I, it wasn't, it was no longer a hemorrhage, but then I have like a cyst on my vocal cord. And the only way to sort of maybe get it better, which is not even a guarantee is surgery, which I've just opted out of. So I'm just like, this is my voice now. Yeah. It's kind of raspy and, you know, own it. that's sort of own it. But, you know, sometimes it really, sometimes I have to cancel things literally because I feel and it's hard to say to someone like it's literally because my vocal cord is just given out mm-hmm. and I need literally to not talk for three full days. Yep. And that and they only and I like that's hard with having babies and the careers that we have it's- and the careers that we have. And I know that I can set aside that I just have to even if it's tough, but I can't not talk to my children for three days. So I just have to like, you know, sometimes I've canceled things literally because I'm like, I I have no voice. I've woken up in the morning with nothing mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. Totally. But anyway. We have that in common too. <laughs> I'm bummed that you left LA right when we sort of I know. kind of got in touch, but that's okay because now I've also learned that everything can be done remotely. <laughs> and that like exactly that. And like, I also realized now, you know, now that things are slowly picking back up and life is getting back to normal, that everything is a flight away. And I feel like my biggest joy comes from being close to my family at this point in my life. Who knows? You know, I, my friends were asking me if I could see myself um, coming back to LA. The answer is yes, for sure. But at this moment in life, it feels right to be in Texas. Yeah. Honestly, if my family wasn't here yeah. and I wasn't from here, I, especially over this last year, I would have gone anywhere that they were. Like I couldn't have done. Yeah. I mean, my parents moved in with us. We moved oh. in with them for two months. Then they moved in with us oh. when our second baby was born because there's, you know, we are both two full-time working parents in the middle of this, like so many people out there with no school or help or, you know, babysitting or nanny, like nothing. We kept it really like nobody yeah. came in and out of our house. Yeah. And so we needed, I mean, like literally we couldn't, have a job or work through whatever we were doing without my parents physically moving in here with us, which was such a blessing. And I'm also a homebody. So I was one of those kids that like would call my mom at like 9 p.m. at a sleepover and be like, oh, mom, that's so funny. I was growing up always an extrovert, but this pandemic has made me realize how much I love preserving my energy. And, and a part of it does go back to like, the overusage of my voice and how much I talk. And so I actually realized I love sitting in silence and maybe it's just a acquired part of growing up that like a necessity for survival in this job and life I have, but I've loved just the idea of sitting and watching a movie. You couldn't have paid me to do that in my twenties. Like I was very like out and about and like always needed that. I actually like functioned better when I'm with other humans around, like I'm more productive. If no one's around, then I just want to lay. So Mm -hmm. I remember when I first got like an assistant, 
part of the reason was, oh, I started as an intern. Part of the reason when I was first starting my career as like a creator and stuff, I got an intern because just the energy of someone being there made me work that much harder. It was weird. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm that person that I will always rather like stay home and like watch a movie. But then when I go out and I'm out, I'm like, I... I I'm very much like, I, I can't leave. Well, if I had your husband and your kids, I would want to be home all the time too. You guys are the cutest. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. That is so, so, so sweet. He's, you know, it's it's been, um, this year has been really tough for so many of us. But one of the things that has been pretty amazing is that we've literally had every meal together oh. for a year. You know, we were like, we just want to have dinner together every night. That's important to us because we both did that with our families and as our son was getting older, we were like, we really want that. And so we're like, the only way we can do this is to live closer to where my husband was working. Mm. And it's so interesting because two months in, there were definitely times where I'm like, I could just go for like a meal alone now because yeah. <laughs> I've had every meal with you people, which I love. But, you I know, but that has been is always uh, greener. Right. Like, absolutely. I think I haven't said this on any podcast. Hopefully this doesn't blow up, but I just started dating somebody and I, um, and we're not allowed to talk about it because he's a very private person, but I realize that no human is going to complete you. Only you can complete you. And the only way I'm going to be able to be the best partner possible is recognizing that and not thinking someone is going to fill me up in a way that is life-changing, but a partnership is in a unionship is way is is actually way cooler than that. Like it's it's way cooler to fill your own cup and have somebody to share that filled cup with. And that's something that I'm learning literally first time dating someone in a very long time. Um, but I, I always love and appreciate seeing couples that I think when I first met you and your husband, I was just like, oh my God, they are such a ray of sunshine and so cute together and produce the most adorable babies. And so <laughs> it was I love I love well, you guys together. It's truly a partnership. And we, I actually had um, this husband and wife team on in season three. They are relationship experts and uh, it's James and Susie Pawelski. And we literally were talking about this idea of, and, and I am like such a product of this because I was like, along with being this really emotional kid, I'm like super over romanticizing. Like I would write yeah. poetry about love yeah. at like seven. And like, I loved like any kind of love movie, yeah. you know, whether it ended poorly or it ended beautifully, whatever it was, I was like so wrapped in it. And so Same. it's this idea that like things like Jerry Maguire and like you complete me and, yeah. and sort of these like Prince Charming situations of being saved and like are, are really detrimental actually to us as, as adults. Because I also was and that's that not person. how I right. was like obsessed, yeah. And it kind of brings you to this place where it's like nothing's ever going to be good enough yeah. because, you know, you're sort of thinking that that's how all relationships should be. And really a relationship, like the way I like to look at it is that, you know, you can live without the other person, but you actually just don't want you to. You choose to. You choose to you not. Choose Right. And I said that to Alex once recently, actually, actually, I was like, you know, babe, I could live without you, but gosh, I like literally I would do everything in my power not to. And I don't want to No part of me wants to, but I know I could. And I know you could, you could survive without me. Like, but yeah, we just don't want to. You know, I, I really, okay. And after this, we're not going to talk about relationships, but I have to say this one other thing, because this is so new to me. And I, I'm in like, I think I'm in like the high of the the amazing part of it. But I will also say, 
yeah, that's exactly, I've said that to him and he, no, actually, to be honest, he said it to me, you will be okay without me. And I just, I felt like that kind of, you know, reassurance reminded me that like, Deepika, you've done this, the damn thing yourself, your whole life. Like, of course, support system, family, friends and stuff, but like a man absolutely did not help me get here. And so I, 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 I love that notion of, you know, there's a difference between a want and a need. Selena Gomez lyric, but that song spoke to me. It was like, (laughs) I, I, I wanted a partner. I don't need a partner is, is really interesting difference from literally what you said growing up. I thought I need it, but I will say I did not know how much work went into it. I thought it was going to be all fluffy butterflies. And it's like, actually, when you're a working woman who 24-7 is doing her job, you have to choose to want to make time for that person or you just won't. And in the beginning, I definitely had an ego about it of like, all right, well, if you can't work around my schedule, bye, I'll find someone who does. And it's like, actually, that's literally not how it works. And so anyways, it's still early. I'm figuring it out. And that's all I have to say about it. (laughs) I don't want to jinx anything. Well, I love that. No, I love that. And I'm so happy for you, regardless of anything about it, just that you are in the place that you are in right now. I'm learning so much about myself, right? Yeah, because a relationship is also a mirror. You know, it's like a mirror. And so much of it is about that. And I think another huge part of it, not that this, you know, we're, I guess we're skewing into relationships <laughs> know, in this, this episode, that. which is totally fine, yeah. but that's okay because that's, that, I love that. But, um, you know, it's this idea that we like enjoy who we're with and we appreciate who they are, but we really also have to hold the space and be curious about how they will grow and how they will change because like they're not going to always stay the same and neither are you. And I think that's a really big mistake that so many of us make in relationships when people start to grow and evolve and we try to put a lid on that. Well, how can you we not, sort of right? Like, 31 years old, we right. have, there's no kids involved, like career shifts and families, you know, changing cities and all these things, of course you're going to evolve. And so that's an interesting thing to think about. I'm always thinking about how I'm going to grow and evolve, but I, know, I, I haven't thought about the lens of how is my partner going to grow and evolve? It's interesting. Yeah. That's something that I've really learned being in, in this relationship in particular. And I think that, you know, I was never one of those women not that there's anything wrong with that. It just, I actually thought there was something wrong with me that I wasn't someone that was walking around kind of like really, really, really jonesing to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I knew I wanted to. Yeah. I, I wasn't also walking around thinking I don't want to. I just like, mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted to, but it wasn't like this thing that was like ticking inside of yeah. me. And I also wasn't like, I had never changed a diaper before I had my own children. I wasn't, I, I think I was scared that I was lacking something maternal. Yeah. I loved children, but I just I didn't, that. I wasn't that woman that would jump into a room when there was a baby and just pick them up. I was actually a little more like timid. But when I met Alex, my husband, you know, we were dating for a little bit. It was the first time ever. It was so specific. And I remember like the moment being like, oh my gosh, like I want to have this man's babies. Well, the world is so happy that you did because they are just stunning. Well, they're very, very cute and sweet and also a lot, a lot. But you know, that reminds me of um, something that I saw that that was on one of your posts yeah. and, and it said, I require a lot mm-hmm. and that's okay because I also give a mm-hmm. lot. And you sort of were like, who are all my a lot people out there? Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that. Cause I think that's really important. Yeah. I think my whole life I've been told I'm a lot from 
dudes in my life to colleagues in my life, to friends, to family, less so family, to be honest. I think they've always embraced and loved that part of me and thought it was really cool, but mainly guys. <laughs> I've heard like, you're a lot or your life is a lot and in a very negative connotation behind it. And I have sort of had to flip because I remember first time hearing that from a man and, and it really rocked me. And I was like, whoa, am I just going to be am I just too much for any guy? Am I just going to be lonely? Like I I went through all these emotions of like flashing forward to being 50 and alone and reaching all my career goals, but being alone. And I know, at least for me, like you said, nothing wrong with people who don't. I know for me, I want a family. I know how important that is to me, but I'm not craving it this second in my life. I have incredible family around me and a new nephew and amazing friends and a support system that like, I wasn't craving this idea of having a child tomorrow. Um, and just literally just like you born coming. And then, but the, that really messed with me. And I've, I, through my therapist conversations, it's completely, completely switched in my brain to see it as my superpower. Like, yes, I'm a lot. And yes, I, you know, sometimes the way that my work ethic can be seen as intense, overbearing, and, and I guess for all intents and purposes, a lot. But in the same vein, that same kind of passion I give to my job, I will give to my future family. So if a man sees those kinds of characteristics of me being, you know, dedicated, like when I think about, you know, the the, the characteristics you want in uh, for a family, like that same dedication I have to my work will translate into my future family. So if you think that me being a lot is a negative thing, then you're not the right partner for me because I actually see that as my superpower. I think me being a lot is something that's really incredible and has gotten me to where I am today. And so that shift has really helped me sort of see my, what I thought were weaknesses as strengths. And I think it's really important for women out there to hear that because I think a lot of ambitious women get told Mm -hmm. that they're a lot. And if a man did the same thing, he would be just going about his life, but a woman... He would be desirable because he would be a go-getter and he would be someone that a woman would see or, you know, people would see as a good provider and sort of someone that could make shit happen. So he would be like attractive. So what happens when the woman is the provider and the man isn't, then are you going to be there to emotionally support me? Are you going to like, so like, it's a very interesting, I guess, situation to be in to Mm-hmm. have the roles reverse and how like sex, like sex, gender roles play mm-hmm. a, a role in all of this. And I'm, I'm navigating it every single day. It's, it's very interesting and wild. And it takes two, again, like I think it literally takes a very specific person mm-hmm. to be able to handle me. But you know what? Like, instead of seeing that as like, oh no, the pool of people is so small. It's like, that's really awesome that when I do meet that person, that they are that much more right for me and, and it's going to work. And I don't know. I just see it as, I see it as being special. Yeah. And, and more of like, not even like handle you. It's like, who can be like walking right by you? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. That's the exact right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was so, I loved reading that. And I wanted to talk about that because I do think I agree with you, like, especially like more women out there that are ambitious do need to hear that. And, and sort of, I think flipping it and, and really seeing it as their superpower and a strength is so important. And then post that surrounding yourself with friends and, and other colleagues and people that you date or partners that also see that as a strength. I hope so. I, I just think that there's, we always think like being 150% is such a negative thing, but 
I will give that same 150% to my future husband, my future children. And I do give it to my family and friends. And so you just, you choose, you, it's, it's, it's a choice you have to make every day. Absolutely. You also said something that I thought, you know, you were sharing sort of about, you know, why, or before you started Live Tinted, which I really want to know more about. I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar with Live Tinted, but I'm sure a lot of people aren't. Yeah, and so I want totally. them to hear about why you started Live Tinted, what exactly you felt the strong need was, but also you said something, and I love these type of stories where, you know, you applied for a job at a big beauty company and they basically told you uh, no and that you were not a strong enough marketer. And then you flipped it around some years later and you started your own beauty brand and you are the head of marketing now and doing super well. And so uh, you sort of talk about this idea that rejection can be looked at as redirection. Absolutely. And I would love for you to talk about that. Yeah. And to be honest, I just experienced it again this last month. Like I, I, I've now gotten better that Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, like creating very concrete, specific, specific, measurable goals, because otherwise there's a million things you could do. And then you're all all of a sudden not, don't know where to focus. Um, So I had three very specific goals for Q1 and one of them was rejected, but opened up another door. And I I, want to say what it is, but it's going to come out in the next, I think next few months. But the point of it is that I, I've now, it it doesn't go away. This idea of rejection to be direction, like you're going to consistently experience rejection throughout your career and throughout your life. And I think, again, it has this negative connotation to it. And I think, how can we flip it to have this, the reality of as a lesson learned, it's actually like a protection happening, a redirection happening, and it's necessary. And to be honest, like it took me so many conversations with mentors to be okay with the fact that they said no. And I was like, what do you, what, like this was the plan. I was literally, I was meant to work at that beauty company that told me out of college that I wasn't a strong enough marketer. I was going to go to business school and I was going to start my own brand. I always wanted to start my own beauty brand. When they told me no, I was like, well, what happens to the plan? The plan got redirected and it led me to this whole world of a viral video that created a whole audience, that created a whole movement that launched our first product. And so I I, I feel like I'm a complete case study to the idea that rejection is absolutely redirection and your own protection. And I fully believe that. And then the fact that just this few months of my life, I'm experiencing it again. And it's like 10 years later with my own beauty brand, experiencing that rejection. I actually have just changed the framework again through many conversations. It really hurt in the beginning. I definitely cried and I had a whole thing just to be clear. Like I'm where I I think that's okay to like feel the feels. And then I like woke up and I just like put my like little imaginary cape on. And I was like, well, now what, what's the, what's the game plan? What, what is the move? We got to keep going. That's it's not an option to not. And by the way, that's not the only option. There's plenty of others, and there's probably a bigger reason as to why this didn't happen. And I already feel like it. It's all like it. Literally, I already feel like it already happened for a reason, and it's pretty awesome. And I just think it's really important for people to realize out there that it is always going to feel like it hurts, and it's always going to feel like a dagger. And like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? What's going to happen? And it's like. There isn't a person I've met the most successful to billionaires to the most, uh, you know, th- the lo- biggest thought leaders in the world that I, the ones that I've met to people who are just starting their journey that don't feel that same insecurity. It doesn't go away. It, 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 it like, you know, it, it goes into a different stage, like for sure. Like, you know, like 
I think like when you have kids, you're less like, I actually told my family this when I was, I was heartbroken about this rejection. I, I was broken. And I remember telling them, I have to find a happiness outside of my job because when this one thing went wrong, it broke me. And I, I realized that like, if I, you know, if I had a family, if I had a kid, if I, if I had these other things that lit me up, maybe that wouldn't have hurt as bad. So I, I think those, those evolve through life and time and stages of life. And I'm so curious to hear your opinion on it. It's like, I now, you know, you got to get out of that funk to realize like, oh my God, this complete other opportunity opened up and actually the right one in a bigger way than I had expected the first one, just for honestly, vanity and ego reasons thought that this was the right path for us. And now I'm just so excited about the new door. I just, I just think it's important for people to hear that because I think some people see what they see on social media and think people have it all together. And it's like, I don't care who you are. You, everyone is figuring out life no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And, and literally everything that you're talking about right now in this, this whole example is like this is the core of resiliency. And when I talk about optimism, I, I, you know, people have heard me say it a hundred times. Maybe they're sick of it at this point, but optimism is not about positivity. Optimism is about resiliency. And this idea that, you know, working through something that was a struggle or less than ideal or didn't go the way that you had planned it to go and moving forward through it and being open and curious as to like what you will learn from, from it or what new door might open, that's all resiliency. And I think like when you say you know, maybe if I had a family or something else that filled my cup, you know, children, or maybe that would make the blows easier. And I just want to tell you that, well, I just want to tell you that like rejection is something that is very, very, very difficult for all humans because it's something that, that we are not necessarily born with being programmed to experience as an adult, as we grow through, you know, as as children, it's interesting as babies, Um, you know, where we're used to, you know, you cry, you're supposed to, you know, cry when you're hungry or your diaper's dirty or um, you're cold or whatever that is. And your caretaker is supposed to fulfill what that is. And it just happens. And we don't feel bad about it as kids. We ask for what we need. The need gets taken care of and it happens. But over time, obviously, as adults, we grow up and everything we want or need is not going to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so it's this learning practice where it actually is like a muscle where we are all trying to practice every single day what it means to not get what we want, to be out of control, to actually have to adapt and to change and to deal with feelings and emotions of rejection. And so no matter how much your cup is full. Of course, I I think it's the practice part. Yes, of course, I can look at my kids and and when something doesn't work out, I can sort of sometimes reframe and be like, hey, what's really important here is I'm healthy. My family's healthy. I've got the, I've got my kids. I'm looking at them. Like I know what's important and, and, and I can try to work through, but that that's all the practice part. It's still working through because it still really hurts. So I don't think it makes the hurt go away. I think that it helps sort of with perspective, which we're all trying to do. And, And perspective is one of our greatest tools. And guess what? We all, every single person listening out there, you have that tool. It's not something you have to buy. Yeah. It's not something that is exclusive to anyone. We all as humans have that tool. It's just a matter of actually practicing it. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but the more you practice it, it actually gets easier because your brain is trained to look at instances and 
pick up the pers- the perspective shift a lot quicker. Yeah. But it's not that it gets easier just because there is that or the blow is less. It's just that perspective. Um, and I really it's I, perspective. You're exactly right. Yeah. And it's survival too, because sometimes again, like what I was talking about before, you actually don't have, like you have to just pick up. Like you sometimes don't have the actual attentional or emotional capacity to sit with it as long as you would have if, you know, you now have to, your baby's crying and you have to change your diaper or they need, they need a meal to be made for them. Or, you know, they're looking at you waiting to go play outside and, you know, or your your toddler has to poop and can't get on the toilet themselves. Like you got to just, Keep you know going. what I mean? So it's these things that, yeah. And, and so I think that rejection is something that actually is a really important part of being a human that we all, sometimes I look at it and I try to reframe it like, hey, this sucks. And I'm super emotional, like I, like I shared and things really do, they gut me too. Especially if you sort of have this whole something you spent a lot of time investing emotionally and physically on and it doesn't work out. You know, it's this, like sometimes I try to look at it like this sucks and it still sucks. And I'm not going to try to reframe my emotion and and take that suckingness of it away. I'm going to validate that because I know that the only way, you know, past an emotion is actually through it. I'm going to sit with it, but I'm also just going to take a step back for a second and see like a challenge, how long I can look at it and say, like, this is practicing my rejection muscle. Like this is me working out. And so like, I don't like working out. I personally don't. I kind of have to like, when I'm doing it, I wish I did. I, it's just this thing where I just don't like it. Yeah. But I look at it and I'm like, uh, this, this really sucks. And sometimes I can get through it. And I'm like, I know I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to feel better after. I know I'm going to feel like my endorphins are something about the end is going to be good, but this just, I'm, I'm going to sit through it and I don't really like it. And the same thing goes sometimes with emotions that don't feel good. Wow. And so being able to look at it, you know, as like, this sucks. It's awful. I feel it. I'm going to allow myself to feel it, but also I'm taking a short second and just saying, this is going to make my future rejections a little bit easier because I'm working that rejection muscle out. And that's kind of cool. I think in the beginning, so, I didn't want to accept it. I was like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to fix it. I know I'm yeah. going to convince you otherwise. And that feeling also didn't, wasn't great. It's like, why would I actually want something that didn't fully want me back? That doesn't feel right. What I think is so cool, actually going back is that you had this whole plan and it was to work at that beauty company and then to go get your MBA and then to start your own brand. But it's so interesting that the end result was still the same, yeah. but you got to it in a much more less linear fashion. Yeah. And you sort of got to it, obviously now in retrospect, a lot more organically. You didn't have to get that beauty job and you didn't have to go get your MBA. And you did come up with the same with the same result. I'm sure it's a lot of it is different, but you have your own brand is what you, the end. Yeah, is what you you're wanted. totally right. It actually came out in a way, I think more beautiful way than I had ever imagined. Like as a kid growing up in Texas, surrounded by a very specific standard of beauty, blonde hair, blue eyes. I wanted to create a brand that changed that narrative for the next generation. Like that's what I told my parents at a very young age who very much wanted me to become a doctor. What I didn't know would happen through the rejection and the redirection and all these different life paths was that this brand wasn't going to be about me and just my journey and my story and, or even people who just had my skin tone It's actually like really serving this idea of anyone who wants to connect to their identity and culture. And I think that's much more deep than I had ever imagined creating a brand to be. And, you know, it's still the beauty industry. Like I want people to feel great and and I think the, but I, I think the the deep rooted aspect of not seeing yourself reflected, not seeing products that work for your skin tone really messes with people's self identity. Like 
I literally changed and, and got the blonde hair and blue contacts to look like everything I mm-hmm. saw in the media. And that is something that I absolutely do not want for my, you know, kids growing my, hopefully my future kids, like things like that. It's just like, it really messed me up. So anyways, my point is that like, when I started Live Tinted, starting it as a community platform, really where every day we highlighted and showcased and narrated and story told for people that you don't traditionally see in the beauty industry and share their stories. Because I think the best way we're going to be able to grow and move forward is by educating and and actually storytelling and hearing directly from the mouth of somebody about their own experience, not somebody else sharing it from their, what they perceive to be, um, but somebody hearing from them. And I think that's why it's so great that, you know, like your podcast, like yours exists where you bring people on because that is, that is the power of storytelling. It's really sharing Mm -hmm. someone's truth and identity. Mm -hmm. So starting as a community platform was really important to me. No investor got it. They were like, you already have a community Deepika. Like, you know, I, I didn't say this. I assumed everyone already knew, but it all started because I had a, I was working at a beauty company, had a video go viral on YouTube quit my job and built a kind of audience around myself to sort of do the same thing that I hope to do with this brand, which is change the face of representation in the beauty industry or, or increase representation in the beauty industry. Uh, and I guess I did it by myself, but it, it, I had this dream of doing it in a bigger way um, with, with a brand. And so in 2018, I launched Latinted as a community platform where we started with the, the hosting daily, different people talking about topics you didn't really see people talk about in the beauty industry, colorism, um, beauty concerns you didn't see people talk about, like, you know, hiding from the sun your whole life because you didn't want to get darker or (laughs) growing a mustache and how that felt as a kid, um, as a woman. And so all those things we talked about. And then when it came to the product, I completely went a different path than I envisioned as a kid, right? Like it wasn't a full collection. It was very intentional, purposeful, curated products that really had a meaning and a purpose behind it that served a beauty concern in people's lives. And our very first product, the Hue Stick, which is a multi-stick, I'm using it right now as lip, cheek, and eye. But also I used it under my makeup as a color corrector. And that to me was something that I want to continue with every product we release. And it's because there's enough beauty products in the world, right? Like this, this space Mm -hmm. is super saturated, but I truly believe that there's room and there's more room. Not, I I say saturated, Mm -hmm. but people there's room, but as long as you are coming out there with a very specific intention and clarity on what your purpose is. And so I, I feel like for me, the little deeps like knew she wanted to create a beauty brand and she wanted to do something that, that like helped people who look like her. But what I'm realizing is we all have so much more in common than we realize. And if you can create a space where those commonalities are shared and you recognize as a African-American woman, as a Latina woman, and as a South Asian woman, we can all connect on this feeling of colorism and not seeing ourselves represented, you can create unity. And so that really has been the most beautiful part of the journey is I don't know if like I would have gone the L'Oreal path to the Harvard Business School path and launching this brand if I would have come out with the same result and perspective because so much of why I created the brand the way it is, we have a merch piece that says my skin is not a trend, is because of my lived in experience as an influencer. And as um, I was, I started on the corporate side of the beauty industry, I then became a beauty influencer. I got every beauty brand sending me products. I was in every brand campaign as the token brown girl. I I wanted all of that. All that perspective has taught me what kind of a brand needs to exist now. And Live Tinted is a testament to that. To me, Live Tinted is 
about living in your skin, embracing that skin, embracing where does that skin come from? It comes from a very specific culture and it comes from a background that I used to be so embarrassed of. And if we can create a brand that helps people celebrate where they come from, then that to me is really what this brand is about. And the product is just a vehicle to be able to do that. And I mean, obviously I I personally have so much, like so much comes up for me when you talk about that. You know, I was also someone that I had green contacts and it's something I'm like so embarrassed of yeah. now. Like it's a whole, it's a whole chunk of photo albums that I like, just it makes me kind of cringe. Yeah. But at the time, it was like weirdly the opposite. Like I was like, oh my God, I felt so beautiful yeah. with my green contacts on. And it was like, don't take a picture of me till I put them on. Yeah. Um, it was a short period of my life because I think what happened was I, I had the wherewithal kind of to know like something like a senior portrait in my mind. I remember thinking like, this is my senior portrait, which by the way, I've never looked at. But I thought in my head, I'll always look at this, my senior high school portrait. And I don't want to look at it with my green contacts because what if like 10, 20 years from now, I think that's so lame. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know how I thought of that. Yeah. And so I stopped, I kind of stopped wearing it yeah. then, but I had like this whole op, like I literally went to go get a piece of plastic colored, then put them in my eyes to have, like when I think about it now, I'm just like, you know, and sure it's not all gone. Like I look at myself a lot of times and I think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I had, if I actually had green eyes? I don't know what changed. Is it that I actually find, you know, at times I find my own eyes, obviously I think they're beautiful and they don't need to be green. And I look at my husband's eyes who's are green. And sometimes I look at his and I'm just like, well, he's, you know, too bad for our kids. You know, they're never going to get the green eyes because there's no one in my lineage that has them. And it's so recessive. And like, I catch myself saying that and like, but then I'm sort of like, that's okay for me to say that. I'm trying to give my, you know, but it's this whole toggle where I'm like, just because I don't wear them anymore, it doesn't mean that there's still not a lot of that messed up stuff in the background. Totally. Yeah. And you're so right that like partly and the majority of it is because, you know, I got like YM magazines all the time mm -hmm. and 17 and, you know, the Delia catalogs and all this stuff. And there wasn't anyone that looked like me. And I did go to the makeup counter and I remember now, like it's all flashing back, you know, them being like, well, you know, try this. And it obviously was not right for my skin color. And like, well, you're just too hard. Like you just don't fit any of these. So like we'll mix. So like I also had to pay for like four different things just to get my skin color. And I was kind of like a hard case. Like, why did I have to be a hard case? You know, and that that feeling, you know, and I, I don't think I've shared this before, but, you know, when I was growing up also in middle school, it was very unbecoming and not um, attractive to have full lips. You know, it's different than, than now, the trend, but like I always had very full lips and, you know, I would get, you know, the boys in class like saying these things like DSL and these things I didn't even know what they meant at the time because I was super sheltered. Yeah. Um, and I just knew it wasn't good, whatever it was. And so I remember asking my nani, who's my grandma, for people that don't don't know, nani is grandma in Hindi. And my mom wouldn't let me wear makeup. It was like not allowed. So I, I begged my grandma, who was like the cool one. And I said, take me to the prescriptives counter. And I asked the woman and I said, how can you make my lips look smaller? And they literally put like foundation on my lips and lip line. It looked ridiculous. But like, I, I feel so bad thinking back to that little kid uh, who yeah. felt like the hard case and also just like wanted something about her face that wasn't deemed attractive 
to be made smaller. And, and I think that representation is so key. You know, what's cool is that all those things that we were so insecure about growing up are now to me, the things that make me stand out in the industry that we're in. And like, I now am like, I love my big South Indian eyes. I love the fact that I have a skin tone that isn't represented because I can now serve as that representation for people who haven't seen themselves. And it's like, you know, part of me is thinks, is it that there needs to be a big shift, which, which yes, I do think that, but a lot of it also just comes with growing up and getting comfortable in your own skin. And I think absolutely giving ourselves that grace is important and recognizing, you know, sometimes you just don't realize it until just with time and wisdom and, and realizing like my big old eyebrows really are yes. part of my identity. And, 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 and I, yeah, so I think like I, I, I used to be so hard on myself, but it's like, there's nothing wrong with wearing colored contact even now if you want, but it's right. the intention behind it. It's like, when I was a kid, I did it because I literally wanted to be white a hundred percent Right. versus right. now if I wore it, it's like, you know, the same way people dye their hair. It's like, right. You know, it's like an accessory or changing yeah, things up, which is like, do you, but it's more the deep rooted right. aspect of it that needs to shift. And I think it's going to take many generations to make it happen. I, I think it, I truly believe it can stop with our generation. I think our yeah. kids can grow up in a world where they are not seeing fair as the only standard of beauty that's beautiful. They see their unique characteristics as what's going to make them stand out. I really believe it. And I think it's, it's, kind, it's these kinds of conversations that help make that happen. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that there, that's such a key point also about coming into your own yeah. sort of skin. Um, you know, even with my name, I remember when I was a kid, I I would be so upset that my mom didn't just call me Jessica. Yeah. Like, why was my name Dipika? And everyone, like when, it, when a substitute teacher would come, I just knew they'd call off all the kids' names in class and then they'd just stare at their list for like a really long time with like a face that was just so perplexed. And I, before they could even say anything, I'd raise my hand and I'd be like, it's me. me I'm, I'm, you know, they wouldn't even try. And then like somewhere along the lines of like, I don't know, maybe it was late high school or something. I, I just feel like you sort of, or I did, I really like got comfortable with, with my uniqueness. And it almost was like, there was this shift and flip that happened, at least at my school, where a bunch of my friends were like, they wanted more uniqueness. And like, I was getting more attention at that time. And I don't know, like it was not that either way should be, you know, different, but now it's funny. My husband, whose name is Alex, he always says when we go places and where we used to go places and my name is like this conversation starter. And he's like, you can, you know, just say your name and like someone will talk to you for 10 minutes about the origin and how cool. And they know someone else. I'm like, mine's just like, Hey, I'm Alex. And so it's that grass is always greener thing. But I love that my name is something that can start a conversation or that I was never into nicknames. And that was really big deal to me. It was like, you have to learn how to say my full name. Like you can't just call me D, you know, or whatever. Like I was really, I was like my name, like that was just something that was really Wow. I didn't have that perspective. That's awesome. If you like want to get to know me, then like you should be able to just say my name. Like it was like this really big thing, but I know, you know, time's coming up. I just really wanted to talk to you about why you decided to freeze your eggs. And have you had any pushback about that? Was it a difficult decision? I know, you know, partly I'm, you know, just like you, I'm Indian background. And I did something that was very, first of all, out of the norm, I think generally, but definitely for my heritage, which was, you know, I, I was not allowed to carry again. And it was a matter of life and death for me. And we went the surrogacy route. And that is just like very 
unheard of and not very much talked about. And so tell me a little bit. And that's another thing I just think is so empowering for especially women out there that are ambitious and that aren't going to settle. And they want, you know, the the choice. They want to have options and choices, but they may not be in a place right now where they're ready to have a child. So tell me about why you froze your eggs and how did that all go down? Yeah. You know, in the beginning for me, it really wasn't emotional. It was more like a task I was trying to get done. I was like, okay, I'm 30 years old. I have no trajectory of having kids anytime soon. And I want to have them for sure in my life. And so it was an insurance policy. I didn't think it was going to be this emotional roller coaster that it turned into being. I documented it all for my YouTube channel on the journey because I I felt like literally what you said is so real. It is a taboo generally, but within our culture, it is like unheard of. And so I don't know. I think at this point in my career, I have no like filter or guard or worry about what people think, who my parents, my parents are supportive. That's what matters to me. And that, that the rest of the world, it doesn't matter. I know that there's somebody out there I can impact with my narrative and my story. So I did it. I, I really, truly was kind of what you said earlier was truly the kind of the real, what, what kicked it off was like, I, I, what, I know I don't want them right now. And I don't feel guilty for that. That doesn't make me a bad person. That doesn't make me selfish. That doesn't make me not a woman or a full woman, which by the way, I had an uncle tell me like, you've reached a certain level of success. Now it's time for you to focus on being a mother. And like to that, I say, who are you to dictate my timeline for when I want to live my life? Like, how dare you? There's nothing wrong with not wanting to have children. There's nothing wrong with having to need to go a non-conventional route to have children. And I think Mm -hmm. the more we normalize that, the more people are going to feel comfortable with themselves. And people are truly shunned for this in India. I mean, it is really Mm -hmm. scary to think about women's lives are miserable. Like men don't want them because of that. Like what? I mean, that just blows my mind. So yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't intentionally meant to be an emotional journey for me, but going through it, it was A, because of the hormones and B, because- I actually met someone while I was going through it. Again, I haven't shared that. So, oh God, I feel like hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, I'm publicly talking about it, but it's, I'm just protecting it because I care and it's new. And I think that's what made it really emotional for me because, whoa, like I was doing this whole thing to like, but you know, it's, it's still an insurance policy. You never know where it's going to go. And, but I just think that I now feel so happy I did it. I, I love that I've created options for myself. I'm allowing myself to dictate when I make this choice for myself and my future family rather than a timeline, an arbitrary timeline that's created for us without our dis- without our own like say, you know? Like and I, right. I think the biggest thing I encourage people to do is just go if you're thinking about having children, just go to your doctor and find out like where you are in your fertility because I think that's the most I wish at 28, 29 OBGYNs, when you went and got checkups, the doctor told me this. He was like, I wish OBGYNs did that when you just went for your regular checkup to encourage people to check to see um, how fertile they are, because that in itself Mm -hmm. can help you make the decision of whether you should do your egg freezing or not. And a lot of times it's just that blood test. It's like that's it. It's the ACH blood test or an ultrasound where you can just see what the reserve is. Yeah, I remember. And I actually had an OBGYN that, I mean, I think I was. I think I was engaged, but I actually had an OBGYN that like literally did that. Amazing. And I, and I, and I think like he was so tiptoey around it. Like, I don't want to offend you, you know, cause it is something that I think some women would take as like, I don't know why, but like, and it makes, it's fine. Each their own. That needs to be like, normalized. That's crazy. Right. It needs to be normalized. And it, there's nothing wrong with like, he wasn't pushing me to like 
you must. He was just like, if you want to, it's a good thing to check. You know, do you guys plan to? And we sort of, you know, I was like, I might as well, you know, and I, I'm someone that like, but it's just me personally. I'm obsessed with just like the more knowledge, the better. Yeah. Like I like knowing everything. Yeah. I want to know everything I can. Of course, there's some things you can't know, but if I'm given the choice, I'm always like, yeah, I want to know. Cause I want to make a choice, an informed choice. The more, you know, the better. Honestly, I, I definitely am someone who's scared to know the truths for certain things, but in hindsight, I think it's so important. Cause when I did get checked, I actually found out that I actually have a really good situation and he was like, you know, you can thank your mom and your sister for that, whatever. But that is not the case for a lot of people in my life. And they were right. like, thank They literally were like telling me thank you because they went and got checked and they were like, oh my God, I need to get on this. Like, right. you just don't know if you don't know. You don't know. And knowing our, there's like, I always say like, there's no time that is wasted in knowing yourself, mm-hmm. whether that's emotionally or physically, whatever it is, like no time will ever be wasted is that the, that's the time spent that you just are getting to know yourself in whatever capacity that means. Absolutely. Because knowing yourself is, is like really where your wisdom comes from. So anyways, I'm that. so happy that we got to chat. And so mm-hmm. the last thing that we do on looking up, if we were together, which I wish we were, but if we were together, you'd pick one of the cards from the Things Are Looking Up Optimism deck of cards. But since we're not, I'm picking one at random for you. Okay. Yay. I love this. By the way, I love your cards. They're so fun. It's going to be your homework for today. Okay. Yeah. I'm into it. They're at my parents' house, by the way, because they um, they got sent there. And so whenever I go home, every once in a while, we'll pick a card. It's fun. Say hi to your parents for me. I love. (laughs) Okay. This one's yours. It's rainbow. Be yourself, whatever and whoever that means. There are many people in this world, but just one of you. How cool is that? Now take a moment to think about just one thing that makes you truly you. This is so spot on. (laughs) A lot. I love that. I love that. That was so so perfect and exactly the right card for me. And I, I, I truly remind myself that every day with work, with life, with friendship, with family, with this new relationship, most like top of mind is I will be myself and that person will evolve and, and she is a lot. And that is a beautiful, awesome thing. I love that. Thank you so, so, so much for being on Looking Up. I loved chatting with you and catching up. Me too. Thanks so much for listening to Looking Up. For more optimistic content, follow me at Dr. Deepika Chopra. For more info and how to get your very own Things Are Looking Up optimism deck of cards, head to thingsarelookingup.co. If you like what you hear and you want to support the show, please don't forget to rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is Me and Sade by Tommy, courtesy of Terrible Records. I'm your host, Dr. Deepika Chopra, and I'll see you next Monday for your weekly dose of optimism.